Well, good morning again. Man, I love hearing uh, testimonies of how God is changing lives. Amen? So encouraging. Listen, grab your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to uh, the 24th Psalm. The 24th Psalm. Um, we are beginning a series today called Breakthrough. And uh, this is going to go along with our 21 days of prayer and fasting where we're seeking breakthrough. And I mentioned earlier about our fasting guide. Uh, on the fasting guide, uh, there, there's a number of things that we're asking God as a faith family to give us breakthroughs in. We're praying for boldness to share Christ. We want to see a 500 people uh, give their life to Jesus within a year's uh, time starting last January 13th of 2021. Um, we're asking God to move in a miraculous way, uh, giving us a fresh outpouring of his Holy Spirit in our church. We are praying that God would allow families who have uh, lost habit of connecting to re-engage with the uh, uh, body and get back connected again. And we want to see uh, men and women of God rise up um, in our congregation who would be champions for Jesus. We're asking God for financial provision, expand, for expanding our mission. That's the selling of our property uh, over here on the north side. And, and maybe even God would open doors up to receive some facilities in either Kilgore or, or Hallsville or both for campuses that we believe God is going to lead us um, to begin. We're praying for revival and spiritual awakening in our church, in our community, in our state, in our nation. We believe we need that. Amen? We're asking God uh, to just manifest his spirit, just his presence during all of our weekly worship gatherings, from kids' ministry to in this room to our prayer meeting. And then we're asking God to make us a house of prayer, that we would be a people of prayer. So those are the things that we're asking God <clears throat> for during this season of prayer and fasting for spiritual breakthroughs. And then I'm challenging you as you take 21 days to fast and pray for you to identify what are the breakthroughs that you need? What are the breakthroughs in your marriage, in the life of your kids, grandkids, your coworkers? Who do, who's in your life that you wanna see come to faith in Christ? So we're challenging you, identify those spiritual breakthroughs, choose a fast and join us uh, on this journey. And so today, we're gonna be spending some time getting prepared for the fast. We wanna get ready to meet with God, amen? And we believe that anytime there is something that creates expectation, that there should be preparation. There should be a time of getting ready for that thing that we're anticipating or we're expecting, and that's what today is all about. Psalm 24 is really a psalm that helps us understand what it means to prepare for God's presence. Listen to what David writes here. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Why? For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the river. David uh, begins this psalm by reminding us of who it is that we're seeking. Whose presence are we drawing near to? And he says, listen, he wants us to be reminded that the earth belongs to the Lord's and the fullness of it and everything in it belongs to him. Now, why is that the case? Because he's the creator of it. And this is just a reminder. David is helping us understand we're seeking the presence of God, but we're not seeking the presence of a small God. We're, we're seeking the presence of a powerful God who is sovereign over everything. Amen. And because this is who we're pursuing, and because he is so great and so mighty and so powerful, there needs to be a little bit of pause in our hearts to ask the question that David asked. And that question is gonna be, what needs to happen in my life for me to be prepared to meet with this God who reigns above everything? And that's what David does next. 
in the text. Look what he says in verse number three. He says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? This is a reference to the tabernacle. It's the picture that David is painting is that we're trying to enter in the presence of God and it's like we're climbing a mountain. We're climbing a mountain because we're gonna ascend into the very presence of God. And that's the picture that David is painting, this journey to the tabernacle, this journey to the presence of God, that we're climbing to new spiritual heights. And he gives this metaphor of meeting with God is like climbing a mountain. I love what the message says. The message is uh, another version or translation of the scriptures, and this is how it interprets verse three. It asks the question, who can climb Mount God? And then it says this, who can scale the holy north face? And the picture is, is we're, we're scaling Mount God. And this is what we're doing, church, over the next 21 days. We are taking a spiritual journey where we are climbing Mount God. We are trying to get to new heights spiritually. We want to ascend to new places spiritually where we experience God's presence in fresh ways, ways we've never seen him move in our life and in our church like never before. And, and so th this metaphor here requires preparation. Just like if you were gonna climb a mountain, you need to prepare for it, right? So spiritually, if we're gonna ascend into the heights of God's presence, then we've gotta ask the question, what do we need to prepare for? How do we need to prepare a few months ago, my uh, family, we were at Mission Cation. This is the mission trip that we do uh, with the church every year. And uh, on our free day, we got to get with some other families and we went hiking in the mountains. And so there was one particular mountain in Boulder that we were all with families. So, so we had some young kids, some older kids. So this is a, gonna be a challenge for us. And so we, we found the mountain. So we, we set out that morning, we got to the base of the mountain and we realized very quickly that this was gonna be a, a lot higher hike than we imagined. It was gonna be a much steeper journey than we anticipated. And this was a problem for me because I didn't prepare. And so while I do cardio every week and I do a little bit of lifting, there's a difference that workouts that you need to have for your legs if you're gonna scale a mountain and you're gonna go up some steep terrain. Coming down is actually harder than going up. And so I knew that I was gonna be for a challenge, but I had my kids with me. I'm like, they can't outdo me, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna suck it up and go. And then I realized a second dilemma. I didn't have the right shoes on. I saw all these people and they were wearing hiking boots. And I had a pair of not just, I didn't have a working out shoes, I had walking shoes. Was not prepared. Surprisingly enough, they were white. Imagine that, me wearing white shoes. Um, and so not only did I not have the right shoes, it dawned on me, I didn't even have water with me. So now I'm in real trouble. And so we take off on this hike and man, we made it. But I'm gonna be honest with you, it was the most miserable thing I've ever done. Because I'm walking, listen, up a, up a hill I didn't prepare for physically, shoes that did not really work for the journey, no water. When I got back, I was so depleted and so tired. And while the sight was beautiful, it was hard for me to see it because I was like about to black out the entire time. And here is the point. The point is just like physically, if we're gonna scale a mountain, we need to be physically ready. We need to have the right kind of shoes on. We need to have the right uh, equipment with us for hydration. Otherwise, the experience is gonna be less than what it would have been had I been prepared. And this is what we need to do spiritually. If we're going to ascend the hill of the Lord together over 21 days, there needs to be some preparation. 
that, that God's presence is a serious thing. I want you to look at me just for a minute. This is what I truly believe has happened in a lot of our churches. We have a low view of God and a high view of man. And because we have a low view of God and a high view of man, we get really comfortable approaching God on our terms rather than his terms. We have minimized God down to our level. And what happens is, is that we approach God, we, we do so casually, we do so without careful consideration of the condition of our heart. And what the Bible reveals to us about the nature of God and the presence of God is that God is holy. That means he's altogether different. He is set apart. He is pure in every way. And we are not those things. And the Bible tells us that there should be careful consideration when we approach a God who is holy. In fact, this psalm, I wanna give you the backdrop of why this psalm is so important um, to the history of God's people. You see, I believe what David is writing in this psalm where he's talking about the greatness of God and he asks the question, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in this holy place? I think David is being reminded of an event that happened earlier during his time as king. When David took over the throne, there was a dilemma in the nation of Israel. The Ark of the Covenant that represented God's presence with his people, the glory of God among his people was not actually in Jerusalem and it was not in the temple. You see, what happened was, was that earlier on, before King Saul took the throne, you had a guy named Eli. Eli was the priest. He was the representative of God before the nation of Israel was given kings. And so Eli was to be the one who imparts God's truth to his people and intercedes on their behalf. He was to, to be the mediator between God and his people in the absence of a king. And, but Eli had an issue. The Eli's issue was, was that he lowered the standard of holiness, and so while Eli himself was a pretty godly man, he had two sons that were given priestly responsibilities within the temple. Their names were Hophni and Phinehas. And Hophni and Phinehas did not consider the holiness of God something to be taken seriously. In fact, when the, uh, the, the sacrifices were being made in the temple, they would go in often and steal the choice meat from the altar, taking it from the Lord to keep it for themselves. They would oftentimes uh, manipulate in order to get personal gain from what belonged really to the Lord. It talks about even they would sleep with the servants of God's house in God's house. Sexual immorality. And God had a problem with this, surprisingly, right? And God goes to Eli and says, Eli, you need to correct this. But Eli, not being a good godly father and leader, he just let his boys do what they wanna do. And finally, the word came to Eli. Hey, listen, I'm putting an end to your time. Your family is no longer gonna have these responsibilities. In fact, because of the sin that they've committed, because of the carelessness that they have dealt with in regards to my presence, I'm going to do something so severe that it's gonna blow everybody's mind. The story goes on to tell us that the Philistines and the Israelites were doing battle together. Hophni and Phinehas were soldiers, and here's what happened. They go to battle, and on this battlefield, 4,000 Israelites were murdered, were, were, were put to death, were killed by the Philistines. 
So hat in hand, they go back to Israel. They try to regroup the army. They have to battle again with the Philistines. And now they're defeated, lost 4,000 soldiers and said, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna defeat the enemy? And then somebody said, I got an idea. Let's get the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the very presence of God. Because back when Moses and Joshua were conquering the land, often they would take the Ark of the Lord onto the battlefield as a representation of God's power to fight on their behalf. And so they said, listen, let's get the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and let's take him to battle. But here is the problem. The problem is they are using the Ark of the Covenant as a rabbit's foot. They have disregarded the presence of God. They have treated the presence of God without caution, without respect. And now here they are in a moment of crisis and saying, you know what we need? We need the Ark of the Covenant. We need the presence of God to go with us. And so we need to rally the morale of the troop. And so what do they do? They get the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. They bring it in their midst. No consecration, no repentance, no sorrow over the mistreatment of God's presence. They just used it as their four-leaf clover, clover to rally the troops. They go to battle with the Ark of the Lord to face the Philistines and 40 or 30,000 rather foot soldiers, the nation of Israel were put to death. Among them were Hophni and Phinehas. But the worst part of the story is that the Philistines not only conquered the army, but they took the ark of the Lord and now the presence of God, the glory of God is now in the hands of the enemy. One of the soldiers who didn't die runs back to Jerusalem and he goes to report to Eli what had happened. And he gets back and he tells Eli, the army has been defeated and he's brokenhearted over that. And he said, it gets worse than that. The, not only has the army been defeated, your sons Hophni and Phinehas have been killed in battle and he is heartbroken over that. But then the kicker, they said, it gets even worse than that. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord has been taken and it says in the story that when Eli heard this, not the hurt heard about his sons dying, but when he heard about the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord being taken and now the presence of God is in the hands of the enemy, it says that it struck him with such distress that he fell off of this wall backwards and broke his neck and he died. Word gets back to Phineas's expecting wife and she is with child and when she gets the word about uh, her uh, husband and her father-in-law dying but then when she hears about the ark of the covenant it says that she went into uh, early term labor she was under such distress that she gave birth to a premature baby and she died giving birth to her child but before she dies she captures the moment in the way that she named her baby and First Chronicles, I'm sorry, in First Samuel chapter four, verse 21, this is what the wife of Phineas said about the situation, and this is what she named her child. It says that she named the child Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband, and she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. The spirit of God gone. Listen, those are some of the most tragic words in all of the Bible. That God's people would not have God's presence. That God's people who were set apart to experience his glory would not have his glory. But because of the sin that went undealt with, because there was no consecration and preparation and reverence to the presence of the Lord, because the people became content with living in a way that was inconsistent with what God called them to live, God removed his presence from them. 
And for 20 years, no glory, no presence, no manifestation of God in their midst. Saul becomes king, is not concerned about this. But as soon as David becomes king, he says, this is a problem. We need the presence of God back. We need the glory of God back. We need to go get the ark of God. And so that's what he does. He locates the ark of God and he goes with some of the Levites to get the ark of God. There was just one problem is that they had great intention, but they had no preparation. And so when they get to the location where the Ark of the Covenant is, they take the Ark and they put it on a new cart. Now here's a problem with that. The way that they were carrying the Ark is not the way that God had prescribed that they should deal with the Ark. That the holiness of God demands a certain care and attention because of God's holiness and because his presence has so much power and we should respect it. And so what happens is, is that they go with the intentions of recapturing God's presence, but they do so on their own terms and not on God's terms. And it says they put the ark on the cart and as they were traveling, something happened. The ox that was pulling the cart stumbled and as it stumbled, the cart began to shake or the ark began to shake on the cart and a man named Uzzah, one of the lead servants, reaches over to stabilizes the ark he touches the ark and God kills him on the spot. Why? Because you do not approach God on your own terms. That God is holy and he takes his holiness seriously. You see, we have lost in somewhere in our Christianity a reverence for the holiness of God and the justice of God and the wrath of God. And Uzzah finds out really quickly, and so does all of Israel, that you don't play with God's presence. And David sees this happening, and he immediately, two feelings. One, he is angry at God. We were trying to get the ark. We were trying to, his intentions were good, amen? We want the presence back. We want the glory back. We want to see you among your people once again. His intentions were good, but because of the lack of preparation, he was not able to experience what he hoped for. And there's no doubt in this room, there are some of you, you are so excited about 21 days of prayer and fasting. There are some of you, you're not so excited, but you know what God's gonna do in your life is gonna be worth it. There are some of you, you're so terrified, you're not even gonna try it. We can have the best of intentions of what we wanna see God do, but if we don't prepare for God's presence, we might miss what he has for us. David felt anger and then he felt fear. I can't bring this ark into our land, I'm gonna leave it. And it says he goes to a place called, named Obed-Edom and he leaves it there. And for three months, David just said, I'm done with this. And then he gets worried about the blessings of God in Obed-Edom because the glory of God, wherever the glory and presence of God is, there's blessings, amen? And so here's what David does. David does some research. He does some preparation and he, he thinks about what they need to do in order to get what they're desiring, which is God's presence back among them. And it says that he called the Levites together and he prepared them for what they're about to do. And I want you to listen to 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 12. Listen to this. He gathers the Levites together after careful consideration and preparation. And he said to them, you are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites. Now listen to this. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Consecration, you got preparation. Look what he goes on to say. He says, because, here's the problem with last time, this is what happened with Uzzah, because you did not carry it the first time, 
the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. We did not approach God on his own terms. We approached him on our terms. And what he goes on to say, so the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord of God of Israel and the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with poles. That was the solution, the poles. As Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Now, here, here is what's amazing is that David goes back and he recognizes that God had already told them how to handle his presence. There were these little rings in the Ark of the Covenant. Those rings were for the poles to be slid in and for the Levites to carry the Ark of the Lord like a nation would carry their king. So this time when David goes, he doesn't go get a cart, he gets some poles and they consecrate themselves. So here's what you have, consecration, preparation, and submission. You say, what do you mean? Consecration, hey, wash yourself, cleanse yourself, ready yourself. Preparation, hey, we've gone through all of the details of what God wants us to do and then submission, we're gonna follow the rules. We're gonna approach God on his own terms. And they bring the ark of God back into its rightful place to place it in the tabernacle. And it says this was a time of jubilee. This was a time of celebration. This was a time of singing and worship as God's glory was returning to his people. Why? Because they dealt with God's presence on God's terms. And so I believe what's happening in this text is that David is reminiscing about this journey and he's contemplating what he learned along the way. And here is what David learned. If you're gonna approach God's presence because of who he is, there must be preparation. There must be a time of examination. We must approach God the way that he desires to be approached. And that is in holiness and in righteousness. And listen, church, we, listen, if we're going to see God move, we gotta understand that God desires holiness in our life. That's not a word we use a lot these days. We've become so comfortable with sin and yet the scripture over and over tells us that what God wants is that he's holy and now in Christ we've been made holy but through the power of the Holy Spirit we learn to live holy. And we wonder often, why do we not see God's presence and power in our life like we desire? It's because we're not approaching God in the holiness that he requires. This is what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 14. He says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which, listen to this, no one will see the Lord. Listen, how many of you don't confess right now, just, just kind of nod your head. How many of you wanna see the Lord at work in your life? How many of you wanna see God's hand and his power and his presence like never before in your life? Amen. He says, apart from holiness, we won't see it. We won't see the Lord work in our life like this. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse two. He says, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification or your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Paul is simply saying, God has redeemed you for holiness. And to disregard holiness is to disregard God because he has given you the Holy Spirit so that holiness is possible. 
And when we willfully choose to walk in that which is unholy, what we are doing is grieving the very Holy Spirit that has been given to us to purify us. And so what David is simply saying in this text is this, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Who is prepared so that you can enter into the presence of God? Who has consecrated themselves so that you are ready to scale the mountain to meet with the Lord? And then David answers his own question. And this is where we'll get practical. And then we're gonna practice this. We're gonna walk in it for a few minutes this morning. David answers this question, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in God's presence? Verse four, look what he says. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So what David does here, he gives us really four areas of our life that really encompasses all of who we are. He talks about our actions and our attitudes and our affection and our ambition all of who we are, I'm gonna give these to you in, in two groupings. There's really four things here, but I'm gonna give them to you in two groupings. The first thing David said, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? The one is clean hands and a pure heart. What does that mean? Listen to this. We need to examine what we do and how we think. If we're gonna prepare to meet with God, and this is what we're gonna do this morning, and what I'm gonna challenge you to do the next few days to get this text, get these statements, and really do some business with the Lord that we would examine what we do. We would examine how we think, what we do. That's the idea of clean hands here. The, the idea is our actions, the choices we make, the places we go, the things that we say, the actions that we take, the things that we give ourselves to willfully, physically. He's saying, listen, we need to have clean hands. We need to make sure that we're pure before the Lord, that we're not sin, that we're walking in, that we have not dealt with, that the Holy Spirit is not leading us into holiness in. Clean hands. He's saying, is this really important? Let me ask you this question on, in my attempt to answer the rhetorical question, is this important? So go to a restaurant and next time you're in a restaurant, I just want you, if this ever happens to you, I want you to think about your response. If you're in the, in the restaurant, you go to the restroom, but in the restroom, all of a sudden, you see the chef or the cook walking out of one of the stalls and they say hello to you and bypass the sink and go right into the kitchen. Hello? How many of you are gonna enjoy that meal? Check, please, right? You're out. Why? Because the, the chef could argue that, listen, I washed my hands last week. I washed them earlier today. I wasn't in the stall that long. Would any of that matter, yes or no? No, it would affect the way that you approach the plate. Why? Because what you would expect from the cook is clean hands. And yet we approach God with filthy hands, hands where we've indulged in sin willfully, with our eyes that we have intentionally lived in things that we know repels the presence of the Lord. We have spoken in ways that consistently in ways that quench his spirit and yet we come into God's presence without any real examination going, bless me. He also says a pure heart, this is what, how we think. The issue of the heart is the issue of the mind here. It's the purity of mind. See, here's the thing. Oftentimes the issues of sin, the most real issues of sin are not the sins that are visible, 
but the sins that are invisible, the areas of our life that no one gets a glimpse of. It's the bitterness that we have harbored in our heart toward people that we're unwilling to let go. It's the jealousy that we constantly find ourselves in this state of competition with those around us. It's the discontentment of heart. It's the unforgiveness where you've wronged me and I'm not gonna walk in forgiveness of you and I'm gonna harbor this. And on the surface, I'm gonna pretend like all is well, but inside I feel about you ways that I shouldn't. It's the sexual sins that we may not act upon physically, but we do dwell on mentally. It's the ill will that we have toward people. And what David is saying is, is that there needs to be a purity of mind, there needs to be a purity of thought, that it's the unseen that matters to God, not just the seen. I love how Charles Spurgeon says it. He says it like this. He says, clean hands will not suffice unless they are connected with a pure heart. True religion is a heart work. We may wash the outside of the cup and the platter as long as we please. But if the inward parts be filthy, we are filthy altogether in the sight of God. For our hearts are more truly ourselves than our hands are. The very life of our being lies in the inner nature and hence the imperative need of purity within. The pure in heart shall see God. All others are but blind bats. <laughs> I love Charles Spurgeon. He kicks me in the teeth every time. So again, you're at the restaurant. The waiter comes over, the waitress comes over and they hand you your cup to drink out of and the outside of the cup is clean but the inside you see food floating around. You ready for lunch? I'm showing you how to fast. You think about those things and you can fast. So you call the waiter over and say, hey, there's a problem with my, my cup, it's dirty. And they hold the cup up and say, no, 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 look. Look at the outside. There is nothing on this cup. Your answer to him is gonna be, it doesn't matter what the outside, my concern is what's on the inside. You see, here's the thing. Sometimes our reputation of who we are spiritually is not a true reflection. Or, or, or the, the reputation we have outwardly of who we are spiritually is not a reflection of who we are inwardly spiritually. And this is what David says. David goes on and says he understands that God wants truth in the innermost being. And he makes this statement in Psalm 139, verse 23. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me. David is going, God, I don't even know my own mind. I don't even know my own heart. Would you search me and would you know me? Would you try? Would you look at my evil, anxious thoughts? See the things that I'm thinking about because I don't want just purity on the outside. I want purity on the inside. I want even the thoughts that I'm not aware of for you to highlight those. That's how much I want holiness. Far, so many, far, far too many times in my own life, this is transparency. I have settled and have been content with what you think of me rather than what God sees in me. And anytime I'm more concerned about what you think about me rather than what God sees in me, there will always be a lid to the power of his presence in my life. And the same is true for you. Who's gonna enter into the presence of God? It requires clean hands. It requires a pure heart. 
Then he gives us two other statements here. Who does not lift our soul to idols or swear by what is false. So it's what we do and how we think. And then it's, listen to this, what we pursue and how we speak. It's what we pursue and how we speak. He says, does not lift our soul to what is false. The idea here is idolatry. It's, it's the affections of our heart. Some, some translations use the word lift our soul to idols or, or live for vanity. That's the word King James Version used. The, the idea of, of is everything is superficial. The affections of our life. So here's the question for you this morning. As you think about this, are there things in your life right now that you know God doesn't want? Actions that you're taking, things that you're doing, things that you're observing, things that you're listening to, things that you're, uh, your eyes are seeing. Are there things, actions you're taking? Are there thoughts in your life that you know God doesn't desire? And then the question that you need to ask yourself also is, what's getting the affection and tension of my heart? What is it that really is captured who I am? You know how you know that? What do you think about most often? When you're not busy with a deadline or you're in the middle of something you've got to get done, when, you're, when your mind is clear of duty and responsibility, what consumes your thinking? You see, C.S. Lewis says the human heart is an idol factory. It says that we're an idol factory, that we have the constant pursuit of making small little g gods in our life. And here is what King David is telling us. If we want to encounter the true and living God, we cannot harbor little g lesser gods in our life and give our affection to him. I ask this question in marriage counseling all the time when dealing with a husband and wife. And it's always funny to see the answer, especially when I ask the, the, the wife, uh, I ask this question, um, hey, would you allow your husband to be 90% faithful? And I just threw this statistic. I'm like, 90% is pretty good. Like 90%, like that means most of his heart belongs to you. Most of his, his mind belongs to you. Most of his affection belongs to you. 90%, and he's got 10% over here. Is that a big deal? And every time both spouses go, absolutely, I'm not giving 10% away. Why? Because 90% faithful is 100% unfaithful. And here's the audacity that we have, if we're honest. This is guilty in my life, and I know it's guilty probably in many of yours. And I even have the audacity at times to ask God to bless my idols. We need to examine the affections of our life. What are we pursuing? And, and, and let me just say this, and this is just a side note. It's interesting to me, um, as, a, as a football fan, as a, as a sports nut, it's amazing to me how many of us, when we're at the house with friends or we're at the sports bar hanging out with buddies and, and, and we can watch a game, we got the colors and we're losing our ever-loving mind and we come into church and this is our response. When, I, when do I get to sit down and when is the pastor gonna shut up? I'm just not an expressive worshiper. Oh, yeah, you were on Saturday. But because something has your heart, 
It has your affection. It has your emotion. We need to do some soul searching. Then the last one is how we speak, how we speak. He says, um, lift our soul to idol or, or swear by what is false. This is the idea of, of just our words and our life not matching up. But we need to be people of truth. And oftentimes, listen, the greatest integrity issues in our life are not the lies we tell, but the lies we live. And they're not the lies we tell, but the lies that we live. And so what I mean by that is, is that we, we put ourselves out there as being something when we're really not that something. We put ourselves out there of being this godly person when in the inside we know all we're doing is covering up the insincerity and the lack of holiness in our life. And we present ourselves to be something that we're not. You see, speaking what is truth is not just the words you say, it's the life you live. So there are times when we can say the right things, but because our life doesn't match up, our life, we're posturing. It's like uh, in, in today, I think this weekend is opening weekend of uh, bow season. Man, camouflage is flying off the racks at every sporting goods store. Why? Because the, a good hunter knows that you need to hide who you really are. And most of us, we live our lives with spiritual camouflage. We're hiding who we really are. Jesus says, those who worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. He wants truth in our inward being. So listen, this is a heavy sermon to preach. Is this a heavy sermon to listen to? But it's needed. And it's needed because there's blessing with this. So David is saying, listen, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? He says, those of clean hands and a pure heart, you don't lift their soul to idols or swear by what is false. And then he makes this statement because what's gonna happen when we do this, when we take the time to prepare and we enter into God's presence through this preparation, here's what he says the outcome is. I love this, verse five, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. In other words, what David is saying is, is that when we seek God, when we prepare and we wash our hands and we purify our hearts and when we clean our hearts of idols and when we speak truth, he says we enter into God's presence and it's there where we experience the blessing of right relationship with him where his presence that gives us joy everlasting, where the, the fruit of his power is displayed in our life. He's saying, listen, such is the generation who seek him. So we can become, listen to this, a generation who walk in holiness, who walk in purity. And because of that, we live in his presence in a way where his blessings are experienced in our life. David ends that by going, he simply says at the end of verse six, Selah. What is Selah. The word selah is a way in the Hebrew language to simply say, think about it for a minute. Ponder what you just heard. So ponder this for a minute. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And our desire is to know this Lord that is the creator of everything. Our desire and our greatest need is to live in his presence, to experience his glory. There's just one dilemma. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? 
And who can stand in his holy place? Clean hands and a pure heart. Don't lift your soul to idols or swear it by what is false because the outcome when you prepare yourself and you encounter him is the blessings of right relationship, his presence in your life. Think about that for a moment. As you embark on this 21 day journey of fasting and prayer, and I wanna say something that I don't want this to be a cut. And I'm not trying to shame anyone into, you need to do what God's called you. If God's not called you to fast and pray, don't do it. But I also need to, need to say this. It's been my experience through the years. There are two reasons why people refuse to pray and fast. Well, we, we don't wanna come to prayer meetings. We don't wanna engage in it. Number one is that we really don't hunger for God. So the thought of giving up our food or giving up something we love to seek his face, it's just not appealing to us. Why? Because we don't have an appetite for it. The other reason is we do have an appetite for it, but look, look up at me. But we're too scared to deal with our sin. And we know that we're gonna have to deal with those sins. Some of them are gonna be embarrassing. Some of it's gonna be exposing you. Some of it's gonna be maybe for the first time husband and wife have to go get help rather than just covering things up. You're gonna have to move away from promising God every other day, I'll never do it again, only to do it again and actually take a step toward freedom. But if we take the journey, we receive blessing. And I love what David ends this. He talks about the blessing and then he turns it. This is talking, the first few verses talk about our approaching God's presence and then the last part, he talks about God's presence approaching us. So I want you to get the mental image before I read this of David they got the Ark of the Covenant on the poles and they're taking the long journey back to Israel, to the tabernacle. And they're celebrating and they're worshiping and they're taking this journey. Then all of a sudden, the city gates open up and the glory, the presence of God that had been gone for 20 years is now entering in and they take the step and there's a tabernacle. And as they get closer to the tabernacle, the doors of the tabernacle open and the glory of God is returning to the house of God. His presence coming home. Now listen to what David says. Lift your heads, O gates, and lift up, O ancient doors. Why? That the king of glory might come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. That just simply means he never loses a fight. Lift your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors. That the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. That's the king of glory. See, David is not just writing about us getting into God's presence. It's about God's presence getting into us as well. You see, when God's presence enters in, those strongholds in our life, that's why we're calling it breakthrough. Why? Because when the ancient doors are opened up and the king of glory comes in, he is the one who is mighty in battle. He is the one that always gets the victory. He is the one who has the ability to do everything you need him to do in your life. So then we ask the question, who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in this holy place? Based on the criteria of David, look at me, 
No one. No one. Except one. And that's King Jesus. Jesus' hands was They were clean. His heart was pure. He never lifted his soul to an idol. He never swore by what was false. And therefore, Jesus became our sacrifice so that by his death, burial, and resurrection, we might be cleansed from our sin and now have access to ascend the hill of the Lord, to stand in his holy place. So here's how we respond two ways. Number one, Step one is trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you have never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't have clean hands, you don't have a pure heart, your life is full of idols, and you don't know the truth. And I love you, but you don't. I'm religious, doesn't matter. I'm spiritual, I'm a good person, doesn't matter. We need salvation, we need to be cleansed from our sin. If you've never trusted in Jesus, today is a day for you. Others of you in this room, you know Jesus. Here's the second part of this. Now that you have been covered by the blood of Christ, there should be an ongoing cleansing, which means that there needs to be clean hands and a pure heart. So you stand before the Lord in the righteousness of Jesus. But when our deeds and our heart and our affection and our mindset doesn't line up with what God wants, we have to confess it if we wanna experience his power and his presence in our life. And so this morning, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray. When I say amen, there are gonna be men and women here available and we're gonna spend some time in worship together. And I'm asking you, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there are people here that wanna help you. If you are here and you know Jesus, but there are sin in your life and you need someone to pray for you, saying, okay, I need prayer as I begin this journey, then they're gonna be here. Then there's others of you, listen, this altar is gonna be open, just like at the eight o'clock service, people coming and kneeling before the Lord. Listen, this is a time of preparation. Do you wanna see the Lord? then we've got to have clean hands and a pure heart. We got to get serious about God's holiness and we got to get honest about our sin. Father, I give you this time and ask by your Holy Spirit, you do what only you can do. Take this time, use it to let Christ be elevated. That his blood and his grace is sufficient. And Lord, that in, in you, we can come before you in confession whether it's in need of salvation or just the sanctification. Help us meet with you this morning in Jesus' name.